Good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? It's, uh, it's awesome to get to come and open the Word together. We're going to be uh, working through the book of Acts chapter 8 today, and we're continuing in the series that we've been doing called Resurgence, working through the book of Acts and looking at the, um, the original church and what that means for us today. And so we're going to be taking a look at that again. Last week, uh, Pastor John was um, talking to us about Stephen, and he described how persecution was breaking out Uh, in the church in Jerusalem, and we're going to continue to see that, and now what happens as a result of that is the word gets spread out. People people start to flee from that persecution, and what happens is really a fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, where it says that they would be witnesses to Jerusalem first, and then Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so we get to now start to watch the, the church spread out from Jerusalem, and it's because of persecution. So that's the context here in chapter 8 as we, uh, as we dive in. It's a context of division. It's a context of persecution. And the, the, the context that they had, that, that divided world, was so, um, they were so divided that the church is now experiencing extreme persecution. Stephen was stoned to death. And the church runs. But as they run, something unique happens. And we're going to take a look at that. But we still live in a divided world today, though, don't we? This context is not all that unfamiliar to us in some ways because we live in a divided world. We're still divided today by our politics, aren't we? Boy, we hear that every day in the news. We are also divided over our values, we're divided by race. We're divided by gender, and still, we are still divided by our faith. In fact, yesterday I was driving, and I heard on the radio that there are um, over a million Muslims being held in internment camps in China. Now, I know that's not Christians, but that's persecution of faith, isn't it? And we know from uh, John's travels and, and our own experience that the, the church is being pers- the Christian church is being persecuted in China, but also around the world. In fact, the um, the World Watch list comes out every year, and they list the top ten nations where Christians are being persecuted, and they try to gather some of the stories of what's happening. And we we still live in a context of a divided world. And we will always live in the context of a divided world until Jesus comes back because we live in the division of the enemy and God trying to bring restoration and hope. So that's, that's still our context. And so we can, we can relate kind of to what's going on. And we're going to take a look at this starting in uh, chapter 8, verse 4 to, to really see what's happening in the context here. So you can follow along as I read. Here, starting in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. It's amazing that as the church is experiencing persecution, the response of those who are fleeing is what? 
to preach. They preached the good news. Now, I don't think this was like, I need to speak to three people today and tell them A, B, and C. No, it was just part of who they were as they were going because of what God was doing. They were ministering and they were speaking and they were preaching. And it says that as they proclaimed, people paid attention to it. They saw the power and the signs that accompanied. And the last verse there, verse 8, there was much joy. That even in the divided context of political and faith and unrest, there was joy because they had experienced something profound through Philip coming to Samaria and saying, hey, I want to introduce you to something. That's pretty cool. That's the spread of the church. So something remarkable happens as they scatter. God moves in power despite the divided world. Despite our own division, God moves in power. They preach, they proclaim, people are delivered. They're delivered from demons. They're delivered from being paralyzed and lame. They're healed, and God is on display. And even though their context is divided, God's plans were not just, they weren't just sufficient. They were accelerated through that. Now, I want to pause for just a moment because I brought this out because I wanted to show you something this morning. Um, I, and quite honestly, I was just really excited to show somebody. So I need to show you this. This is, does anybody know who LeBron James is? <laughs> he's, uh, he's somewhat of a popular figure in the NBA these days. Um, some would say that he is, ranks among the best in history. And I recently uh, acquired a LeBron James autographed jersey. Do we have any Lakers fans in here? Show me your hands if you're Lakers fans. Okay, all right, few, few Lakers fans in here. Now, here's the thing. I, ha- I want to admit something to you. And this might not be popular. I am not a Lakers fan. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I grew up a Blazers fan. We would go to downtown L.A. to rallies and chant, Beat L.A., Beat L.A., so, but here's the thing. I can appreciate, though, the magnitude of an autographed LeBron James jersey. But I'm not a fan. So I figured, you know what? I need to share this. I, don't, I, I, I can't justify just having this for myself as a non-fan. I need to share this with a couple real Lakers fans. So, um, so I, got, I saw a couple of hands. Eric, you're a Lakers fan. Who else is a Lakers fan? Okay, right, so Marv, why don't you come up to, so come up here for a second. Eric and Marv, come up here. I want to share this with you. I want you to have a piece of this history. So I'm just going to, to share this, this autograph with you. Here we go. So, uh, so here it is. This is LeBron James. So here... Now you get, you get a part of that, and you get a part of that. All right, awesome. Can we give these guys a hand? Congratulations. I know, yeah, you know, I know I'm a giver. That's, thank you. I appreciate that, Marv. Now, now I, you know, I, when I saw this, I was so impressed that, that with this LeBron James jersey. Um, it's still pretty impressive, though, right? I could wear that around. People would be impressed by that. You guys can take your, um, your halves of the autograph and, you know, it, it's okay. If you want to sell them on eBay, I'm okay with that. I don't know if people will be impressed with your half uh, of, a, of an autograph. But, um, 
you know, the, the thing is that after the, there's a piece missing, it's, it's not quite as impressive, is it? There's not quite as much, um, uh, it's not quite as much amazement there, is there? Well, uh, unfortunately, sometimes there's a piece of us that's missing. There's a piece of us that, um, that if, we, if it was complete, it would show this incredible, priceless piece of art or memorabilia. And sometimes there's pieces of us that are missing. This morning, we're going to talk about the integrity of God's power. The integrity of God's power for the early church was that he was moving in such a dynamic way and being experienced by the people that they had no other response but to go and proclaim that to people. That's how they responded. It was incredible. But let's, let's talk about this idea of integrity for a second. See, the, the, the definition of integrity is being undivided. It's the state of being undivided and whole, having internal consistency. There's not a lot of internal consistency going on here, is there? There's not a lot of un, being undivided going on here. In fact, it's completely divided, and when it's divided, it loses its value. It loses it, what's special about it. So it's, it's this concept of, of being undivided and that the integrity of God's power is that it's undivided. So here's the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is that the integrity of God's power is not only that it's undivided, but it's undivided by anything. It can't be divided. Though we live in this context of a divided world, they experienced it then and we experience it now, we serve a God who is undivided by our context and our circumstances. Amen? Aren't you happy for that? That means when you have a bad day, it doesn't throw God off his game. He's undetoured by the crisis in your life right now. He's still God, and he still has the power that he always had. That's the integrity of his power. It's complete, and it's whole, and it doesn't rest on your circumstances. If you're taking notes, or you're wanting to tweet something out, write this. My circumstances don't affect God's ability. My circumstances don't affect God's ability. Now think about those verses again that we read in verses 4 through 8. You see, the power of God was undivided by the circumstances. And people, as a result, were healed and they were set free. But now think about the people also. The people were undivided, weren't they? In the middle of persecution, in the middle of fleeing, they were undivided in their focus, the focus of their heart, to preach and proclaim the word of God as they ran for their lives. And I don't think that's because there was something spectacular or special. I think it's because they had just simply allowed God to work all the way through them. It's who they were. It was natural to them. They, had, they, they almost had no other choice because they were undivided in their own hearts. And so it became natural. So the question for us this morning that, that I'm challenging us to wrestle with is are we undivided in our hearts? In the focus of who we are, are we undivided? In the context of our world, are we still undivided in our focus? Because the power of God, the power of his integrity 
is that he's undivided. And we can be undivided as we submit to him. So here's the key, a couple key truths that we're going to focus in on together. Number one, an undivided heart leads to a powerful proclamation. That's what they were experiencing as Philip went to Samaria, as the church spread. They were experiencing a powerful proclamation because of an undivided heart. But the opposite is true, too, that a divided heart leads to a powerless pursuit. And we're going to see that as our story continues with a guy named Simon. And we'll get to him in a few verses down. We're going to see how if our hearts remain divided, it leads to a pursuit that has no power because we're not fully experiencing the power of God. So here's the second thing we need to see this morning. So first is that God's, the integrity of God's power is undivided by anything. Secondly, the integrity of God's power is that it transforms your inner heart, not just your outward behavior. Transforms your inner heart, not just your outward behavior. That means that we have to surrender everything to pursue Jesus, though. That's the hard part, isn't it? <laughs> That's the hard part. Because it's not just a one-time thing, it's like an all-the-time thing, right? That's the hard part. So if you're writing notes, write this down. My level of surrender determines how much God transforms me. My level of surrender, that means how genuine I am, but it might also mean the frequency of my surrender determines how much God transforms me. So now we get introduced to Simon here in the next few verses. And he's the opposite of the humble, faithful followers who were preaching and proclaiming Christ as they fled persecution. Let's take a look at who he was starting in verse 9 here. It says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. I think it's funny that it says that he, ha he himself called himself great. And that is, I'm self-proclaimed great. That was, that was Simon. And, but he's good, right? The people start to actually believe that. And then the people say that he's, he's so great, he must be, there must be something supernatural going on here. But the, the reality of who Simon was, was he was just practicing tricks. He had magic tricks. The guy was a magician. But the, the things that he would do would amaze people, and they would get the people to pay attention to him and call him great. And there was an elevation of his pride and his importance, and he valued that. He had impressed them so much that they said, he's, he's got to have the, he's got to have like power from God or something. That's not, that's not normal, but it was just tricks. So keep, let's continue in verse 12 here. It says, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. 
and seen signs and great miracles performed, he himself, he was amazed. So they're amazed by this guy named Simon because he can do tricks that they can't explain. But when Philip shows on the scene and he starts preaching and proclaiming and people are set free, people, the lame can walk, the blind can see, people are set free from the demonic, people say, we're not only amazed, we believe in this. There's something to this. And Simon himself, it says he was amazed. Now, there's a difference between, there's a big difference between amazement and belief, isn't there? They were amazed by the things that Simon could do, but when they encountered real power, they put their belief in it. They, they were all in on it. They, they knew there was something different about it, and we know that they were at that place because they were baptized. They said, this is the real deal. There was a change that took place in them. Amazement is being astounded by something, astonished, impressed, it's, it's, it's the outward. I think of America's Got Talent, right? Think of the acts you've seen on America's Got Talent. They're pretty impressive. That's pretty awesome. I mean, there, I saw a guy with a sword down his throat. He's upside down and going up and down on a pole. He almost like got to the end and jabbed it in and he stopped just in time. I mean, people do some crazy stuff. And it's like, wow, how did they do that? That's being amazed by something. But believing in something, that's when you know something is true. That's when you know this isn't just a trick. This isn't just a talent. There's something more here. It's an inward conviction. It's something you put your faith in. It happens on the inside. And the Samaritans could see that the gospel of the kingdom of God was the real deal. It wasn't just a trick. And they responded. And even Simon responded. They knew that it was real. Now, when you experience something that is the real deal, you know it, right? You can tell the difference. Like, they, they had, Simon had been doing his thing, and the people were amazed by it. But when they experienced the truth, they're like, oh, now this is it. Now we've experienced it. I think of, um, I, I think of chicken nuggets, okay? Has, do we, anybody like chicken nuggets in here? So chicken nuggets, if you have a bad chicken nugget, it, it, you know that, that the meat is like this hue of brown that it does not naturally occur in the chicken. And the texture is a little spongy. You, you bite into it and it's, it's squishy, right? That, that, that squish that meat is not supposed to do. Like, that, look at that. There's like, where is the meat in this nugget here? There, it's, full of, it's full of fillers instead of actual substance, isn't it? You bite into that, you're like, what is this? I guess it's meat. I don't know. So you dunk it in barbecue sauce and you dunk it in ranch and you choke it down. My little three-year-old, um, Arabella, she is, um, she's like the chicken nugget queen. She would actually eat this. And, and put uh, ranch all over it and think it was great. But, but when you experience something that's real and has substance, like Howlin' Ray's, <laughs> you immediately know the difference. <laughs> you immediately know that, okay, now this is what it's supposed to taste like. 
This is real meat. There's no fillers in this. Now, um, our, you've heard us talk about Howlin' Rays a couple times probably from the stage because our staff is a little bit obsessed with this place. It's in L.A. We have some fans. <clears throat> Although Harold went on Friday without me. I'm a little bitter. A little bitter still, just a bit. But when you, when you experience the real thing, you wonder why you put up with the old imitation for so long. You wonder why you were happy with fillers and, and junk. Now, I don't, you know, I don't want to badmouth any fast food places, but Burger King has got 10 nuggets for a dollar. I, I just do, I, I do the math. I don't know how the economics work on 10 nuggets for a dollar. So I don't know if that's real meat or what's going on. It might look like that one on the screen. But when you experience the real thing, you know it completely. And here's the thing, that the Samaritans, they experienced the, the imitation. They experienced the outward, and it was, it was impressive. But when they experienced God's power, they said, this is the real thing. We're all in on this. And they were baptized. And even Simon himself, he's amazed. He's like, this, this is real. This is the real thing. So... This morning, uh, the, the challenge is that instead of the integrity of God working all the way through us and being undeterred by our circumstances, a lot of times we settle for things that are fillers. We settle for something that is less. We settle for the outward instead of allowing him to transform the inward, the inside, the real deal. We settle for this, this spruced up outside. Are, what are we actually pursuing? Are we just pursuing outward behavior? Are we just pursuing uh, getting our morals in line so that we look like we're okay? Are you looking for a magician God that can dazzle you with tricks? Someone to alleviate your, your circumstances? A magic pill that you can take to, to make your life better? That's not the power of God. That's a cheap imitation. Because the power of God, the integrity of his power is that it's not just some surface circumstantial thing. It's an inward thing that happens in your life as you're transformed by the renewing of your heart and your mind. That's the integrity of God's power. That it works all the way through us, inwardly, not just outward. When we focus on the outward, it's a, it's a, it's a cut-up jersey. There's something missing. There's no integrity there. We've settled for something less. But when God, we allow God to start to transform our inner hearts, it, it, it allows his power to take root in us and begin to transform everything from the ground up. I think of like um, home improvement shows. Does anybody ever watch like HGTV and you see these homes where the, they do makeovers on these homes? And some of these, uh, some of these shows, the low budget ones, um, there's, I think there was one called like, um, I think it was called Design on a Dime or something like that. They, they go in, they go into a room and they're like, okay, your style is horrible. Let us redo this for you. And so they come in, and they, bring, they put a couple pillows in there, and they redo some furniture, and they say, voila! See, your space could look like this. And so, you know, they show's over, they walk away. And so you've got your same dump of a house with one room that's got some nice pillows. 
But there's also some of the bigger budget shows, right? They will go to a house and they will take the house down to the studs. They'll leave like one wall remaining and they will build it from the bones up. And what you're left with is this amazing new property that is completely transformed. That's, that's a picture here, okay? When you let God just have a little bit of access to the outside, when you want to just spruce up your behavior a little bit, it's like adding a couple pillows to the side. And God's transformation, the integrity of his power is that he will come in and he will, he will re-transform everything about you. He literally transforms us into his image so that it's not us anymore that the world sees, but it's him. I'm convinced that's what the Samaritans saw as they encountered Philip. They encountered a guy who the house of his life had been built from the foundation up brand new to reflect who Christ was. They weren't just amazed that he could do like some tricks like Simon had done. There's something real. There's something inward. There's something of substance here. Now, that's great as a concept for us to, yes, we can wrap our head around that. Like, we need to allow God to transform us inwardly, not just fix up the outward behavior. Okay, but what does it look like? What does that look like? Let me give you a few things that are, I think are just some key areas that sometimes we need to focus in on. These are some ways to allow God to transform you inwardly. Number one is give up control. I would say that probably 95% of us in this room are control freaks. We all like to have control, right? We like to control the timing of things. We like to control the what. We like to control who's involved. We get our own plans and we want to see it happen. And sometimes God will move when and how he wants to. And we have to give up control and say, okay, God, my way is not working. I need you. I'm going to submit myself to how you want to move. Another way to allow God to transform you inwardly is to genuinely encounter God. Now, that sounds like, okay, we're kind of stating the obvious there, right? We need to encounter God. But I find that a lot of times what we do Instead of us genuinely encountering God, we look to somebody else and say, how are they encountering God? And then I'll like gleam a principle or, or I'll learn something from how they're encountering God. When, when all the time, God wants to encounter you. He wants to have a time with you. There's something unique and special that he has to pour out into your life. And he wants you to encounter him in a unique way. So don't rely on other people around you. Don't look around the room to how other people are worshiping and, and have that dictate how you experience God. Don't listen to the podcast on the week and, and let that be the main way that you're going to experience God. No, spend time with Him. He wants to be with you. He wants to show you something unique. He wants to begin to transform you inwardly as you encounter Him. And the, the last thing is freshly encounter God. If we want to be transformed inwardly, we have, to, we have to experience Him in a fresh way. And here's what I mean by that. Some of us in this room, uh, we, we've experienced God 
in powerful ways. It's why we're sitting in this room and worshiping together because at some point in our lives, God did something in us that was radical. It changed the direction of our lives. But if we don't come back and allow God to keep working on us, we just refer back to our history. That's what he did then. I know he's good because of what he did then. I know his promises because of what he did back then. But God is new. He's changing. He wants to do new things through you. He wants to take you to the next level. He wants you to experience him. We've got to encounter him in fresh ways for today. We can't just rely on our past. We can't replicate our, our, our own experience that God did some, some time in our history. God wants to transform us inwardly so that we can be undivided as he is. See, that's, that's what Philip did, right? He, was, he experienced God's power. He goes even in the middle of this persecution and he's undivided in his own focus on proclaiming who this God is. So God's power, it, 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 it's undivided. It transforms our, our inner heart if we let it. And we've seen Philip preaching and miracles happen and people believe and they're baptized. Let's keep going in the story now. We're up to verse 14 here in chapter 8 and let's read what happens next. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Okay, so Philip is there. Enter Peter and John. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is awesome because think of the Samaritans now, okay? This had impacted Philip and he's been transformed and he's focused on preaching and like there's something special and, and genuine going on in him and he preaches it to the Samaritans, and they get it, they believe it, they know it's the real thing, and now they experience the Holy Spirit. And what was, what was outward and external, it becomes inward, a conviction of their heart, and now they are ministers of the same power with authority that they saw Philip exhibit to them. That's awesome. That the same thing that they, uh, that they were amazed with and brought them in to say that's genuine, now they are the ministers of that because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It became an inward transformation in the Samaritans. It's pretty cool. But now we've got this guy named Simon. Okay, Simon is struggling. He, built, he still believed in God, but he had this thing, this wrestle in his, in his heart because remember it said that they paid attention to him and they called him, him great and he's struggling with that. And he has this divided heart still. And so let's, let's now look at how he responds to God's power. The final thing for us to see here is that the integrity of God's power is either distorted, is either displayed or distorted to others in how we respond. So, obviously, the early church and Philip, they, they proclaimed the gospel and they displayed who God was. But unfortunately, Simon, 
He's the picture of a distorted view of God, a view that is powerless, that is, that's puts me at the center again. Now, the fact that we are, have this role to play in representing who God is, it means that we are responsible for God's reputation in the world. That's a big deal. That's something that to be taken seriously. While God's nature is, the, the nature of his power is undivided by anything, we can choose whether we display that in a way that clarifies who he is or in a way that distorts who he is. Look at, look at what I mean. Let's, look at, let's keep reading the end of the passage here in Acts uh, ver, uh, 8, verses 18 here. It'll describe what I'm talking about. It says, Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain this gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Your heart, listen to this, your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. He's saying, I can see you're still caught in your sin. You haven't been transformed in verse 24, it says, And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon wanted to buy the power of God. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit with money. He tries to own God's power so that he can impress people with this newfound power that he has. See, nothing has really changed in his heart. He changed a little bit of outward behavior. He said, it said that he believed he was going along with, with what was happening, but there was something in his heart that remained unchanged. His pride still overtook his worship. It was about him and his fame. And Peter, he is so appalled by this that the, if you look at what the, the, the language used here, it says, Peter's literally telling him to hell with you and your money. That's how strong Peter's reply is. And it's not that he's like damning him to hell. He's saying, if that is where your heart's condition is, if that is the intent of your heart, your, you and your money will go to hell because of it. See, the inward, when God transforms the, the inner heart, it brings a transformation all the way in that our motives are right and we want to proclaim and people get it and it's, it's, that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. It's how it expands to other people. But sometimes we get stuck on ourselves. We get stuck not wanting to surrender to God. We get stuck on the exterior, just the outward behavior. And as a result... It still is about us. We don't experience full transformation. And then when people encounter us, they still see us instead of God. They hear our words about God, but they see our life is about us, and we distort the image of God. 
That's not his integrity. That's not the power of God's integrity. His power is that he's complete. He's all the way through. Sometimes we would rather be this cut-up jersey than the real article. We'd rather be that awful-looking chicken nugget up there than the incredible real thing. So we do this. We, we do this in our own lives. We do it in practical ways sometimes. We distort God's power when we, when we want spiritual gifts like healing and speaking in tongues and prophecy, but we want it for our own benefit. We want it to impress people. We want it to look good. It's about our intent, the intent of our heart. That's what Peter called out. We, we distort God's power when we want salvation from sin, but we want to hold on to, to sinful habits, to, sin, to the sin over here on the side. We distort His power when we want salvation from sin, but, but we, want to, we want to not tell anybody about it. We want to be in His kingdom, but we're not willing to tell our neighbors. We, it, we distort God's power when we want to belong to the church, but we won't rearrange our lives to be in community. We distort His power when, when we want his, to Him to bless our lives, but we're not willing to let go of our, of our own resources to help people. We distort His power when we want to know God, but we don't have time to read His Word or to spend time in prayer, to spend time before Him. We do the same thing, don't we? We distort His power because when we, when we do those things, our Christianity is something about the outward. We're not allowing a full surrender that lets God begin to get into the inside of who we are and bring a complete transformation. The integrity of God's power, the undivided nature of who He is, is that when He comes into our lives, we're undivided also. He comes in fully. He rebuilds us from the ground up. He restores us completely so that the world around us that needs Him so desperately can see an image of Him that isn't distorted, but it's clarified. When they see you, they say, oh, that's what God looks like. Don't you want your life to look like that? Oh, man, sometimes we, we all want that, but sometimes we get stuck in this cycle of, uh, of, of holding on to things or of not really re- surrendering to God, and we miss out on the transformation that he wants to continue to do in our hearts. The truth is, the, the reality is, is that our hearts, just like Simon's, are easily divided. We know that what God intends for us is the picture that he gives us of him working in his church, the Samaritans, you know, hearing it, them getting it, it coming another generation, and them being able to witness in power. That's what he intended. But there's some of us who are struggling like Simon. In fact, Paul, uh, Paul said this to the Galatians, to the church uh, uh, here in, in Galatians 5, 7 was struggling also, and he said to them, Who were, uh, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So, you know, even when we're running a good race, the enemy wants to come in and take our feet out from under us. And that's not for us to be afraid or to look for, you know, under every rock where Satan's like going to attack us. But it's, it's a gut check for us to say, am I, am I living 
in the integrity of the power of God to transform all of who I am? Or is there something that I'm holding on to? Is there something that I haven't released yet? Is there something that I need to come back and say, God, you know the intent of my heart. I need to experience you in a fresh way so that I can experience the integrity of your power. So Peter rebukes Simon. He calls out the intent of his heart. What's the intent of your heart? Is the intent of your heart to genuinely experience all that God has for you? Man, that's, a, that's an awesome place to be. Or is the intent of your heart to, to look good from the waist up, but underneath, you're still a mess? God wants to do something in us this morning. And while we were worshiping this morning, was a lot of our songs that were talking about surrender, posturing ourselves to experience God. I'm going to pray for us in a moment that we can experience this, and then we're going to go into a, a, one last song here. And I want to encourage you to think about whether you have a powerful proclamation in your life to people because God is working with the integrity of his power all the way through who you are, or maybe there's a place in you that's still undivided, or still divided. Maybe there's a place in you that still wars with the flesh, that's still holding on, that still wants to put yourself forward. I believe that God wants to move us from a pursuit that's powerless and that we don't get to experience all of his fullness to a pursuit that experiences all of what he has for us. And so as we, as we sing together, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord. Just, just ask in your own heart, Lord, are there places you want to reveal in my heart that I'm still holding on to? Places where I've even fooled myself. Am I still concerned with the outward and how I look and who I am? Or Lord God, is it really about you? And as the Lord begins to peel back the layers and show you things, I, I want to just challenge you to come to him and surrender and surrender those things to him again. Church, we have a powerful God who wants to work in us, in your situation, in your crisis, in your sin, in your whatever, wherever you find yourself. He wants to move in power to bring freedom from you. Freedom from you and embrace of who he is. Because there's always grace. There's always grace when we surrender. Lord Jesus, we come to you again today. Your humble, broken followers just trying to, trying to learn what it looks like to follow you, to live for you, and experience you in fresh ways. Lord God, we mess up. And there's things that come in. But Lord God, we don't want to miss out on the, the power of your, of your integrity to bring transformation all the way through in our lives to set us free to experience you in miraculous ways. Lord, like the Samaritans, we want to hear, we want to experience, we want to believe, we want the intent of our heart to be transformed 
so that we can minister and be your image. God, I pray that that would be true as you, as you reveal those places to us today. In Jesus' name.